All right, 1 Kings chapter 15, and look what it says in verse 9. And in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, reigned Asa over Judah. And 40 and one years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Meachah, the daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. And tonight we're going to look at just some lessons from the life of King Asa. And I, and I want you to notice how when it starts off uh, telling us about Asa, who he was, how long he reigned, it mentioned that he did good in the sight of the Lord. So is it safe to say that Asa was a good king? Since the Bible says he was a good king? Okay. But remember that whenever the Bible would uh, announce the new king, it would often do that. It would just kind of give an overview of his reign. And it would usually say he either did good or he did bad. And it would often talk about, you know, how many years and everything. So it's basically, this isn't like telling the story as it's happened. It's telling it after it happened. And it's basically telling us he was a good king. He reigned 41 years. And it, and it mentions a bunch of the good things he did. But the thing is, whenever it would mention a king that was a good king, that didn't mean everything they did was good. Because we're going to see that Asa did some bad things. And it's the same thing, too, with some of the bad kings. There are some kings who it mentioned that they were bad or they were they did evil in the sight of the Lord. But then some of those kings later on in their life, they did some good things. But overall, they were considered bad, but it didn't mean everything they did was bad. They did some good. They did some bad. And I mentioned that, too, because it's like some people can't seem to figure out that sometimes good people do, can do bad things and sometimes bad people can do good things. And people, they're just so clueless with stuff that if, if they've decided the guy's bad, then no matter what, everything they do is bad. And like, that's just dumb. And then people, they just get weird. And we're gonna, we'll talk about that, but there's some good lessons that we can learn from the life of Asa. So, you know, keep your finger in 1 Kings 15, but also keep it in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 14, uh, where it also goes through the reign of Asa. And I want us to look at some of the good things that he did. Because again, he was a good king and the Bible gives a brief description of what he did and tells us, uh, basically explaining why he was a good king. So it says in Second Chronicles 14, 1, so, so Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David and Asa his son reigned in his stead. In his days, the land was quiet 10 years. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. And if you remember kind of the history, Solomon, you know, the son of David, he was a good king, but later on in his life, he messed up pretty bad, didn't he? He loved many strange women and he built groves and he built altars to their false gods. And then uh, Solomon had son Rehoboam who was bad, and Rehoboam did a bunch of bad stuff. And then Abijah, also the son of Rehoboam, he did a bunch of bad stuff. So you're, in reality, you kind of have three kings in a row that do bad things, who bring idolatry into Judah. But Asa comes along, and after years and years of idolatry and all this wickedness that was done by his fathers, he follows the Lord, and he gets rid of those things. And what a blessing that was to Judah when Asa comes along and removes those idols out of the land and God blessed them 
as a result of this. You know what? Thank God when we have leaders come and they reverse junk that previous leaders have done. And boy, do we need a good leader to come and undo some things that's going on. And, you know, don't get me going on American politics, but it is a blessing when that kind of thing happens. And Asa was a good example. He got rid of the, uh, he got rid of the idols, and he did this according to the command of the Lord. It says in verse 4, And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. And he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places, the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. So he reinforced the law of God. He reminded Judah, we're supposed to be following the word of God. And you know what? It says, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. And he said, we're going to go back to following law. You know what he's doing? He's enforcing God's law. That's what we need leaders to do. We all leaders should understand, you know, that uh, they are not in full authority. Even a king in Israel, he was under the word of God, wasn't he? And it's the same thing today. Even our leaders, they are underneath the constitution. They are not just people who have the ability to dictate whatever they want to us. And you know what? Thank God when a leader comes along and recognizes that, you know what? The people are supposed to submit to higher powers and he's not going to put them in a bad position and try to get them to violate a higher power. Now, I wish our leaders would figure that out. And, you know, don't get me going on 2020. You know, when not only were our leaders trying to put, you know, putting God's people in a bad position, but we also had to listen to people try to use the Bible to justify obeying man rather than God. And what a nightmare that whole uh, fiasco was. Thank God, you know, we kind of have a space where they're not messing with us. But, uh, you know, and thankfully, you know, thank God for the rebels during that time. You know, God, and they weren't, in reality, they weren't rebels. They were just submitting to the higher powers. And, uh, and it is nice when you have leaders that come along and say, I can't do that. I love when I hear leaders when they say, what are you going to do about this? And they're like, nothing. I don't, I don't have the power. I don't have that authority to do that. I asked Darren Bailey about something I wanted to do, and he basically explained to me how he didn't have the authority to do that. And while I kind of wanted him to do it anyway, you know, I'm glad he recognizes, you know, governor only has so much power. And I I think that's actually commendable. And I think Asa understood that. Asa understood we're supposed to follow the law of God. And so he reinforced that. And that is exactly what a king should have done. Also, turn over to chapter 15 and verse 12. Or, um, I'm sorry, 1 Kings. If If you still have your finger in 1 Kings. And I know we all like this one. We're all, this is why uh, some of us want Asa for president of the United States. It says, And he took away the sodomites out of the land and removed all the idols that his father had made. So, I mean, thank God he drove the sodomites out of the land. He's like, wait, wait, what are these people doing here? And I don't know why he drove them out and didn't have them all killed. Maybe there was too many of them. But either way, you know, I, I'm okay with that. Y'all got 24 hours. <laughs> To get out of the stones are flying. But uh, whatever, whatever it was, he got rid of them. He drove them out of the land. And we often see that. That was always a good thing. It's a good thing when a leader understands that, you know what, there's a higher power. We need to submit to it. God's law is, is greater than our own will. And it's a good thing, too, when leaders understand these people don't belong here. And they get rid of them. And he, and he had the authority to do it. And he did it. And it was a good thing for Israel. It's one of the things that God 
commended him for. And he didn't say, why didn't you try reaching those people? He didn't say that. That wasn't what he did. He also removed his own mother from being queen, who was wicked. And, you know, that's a good thing, too. This guy loved God more than he loved his own family. And that is, that's how we're supposed to be. And his mother was, uh, was wicked. It also, um, in chapter 14 again of Second, of Second Chronicles, I'm back in First Chronicles again. I should have kept it open there. In verse 6, notice what it says. It says, And he built fenced cities in Judah, for the land, for the land had rest, and he had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. And therefore he said unto Judah, Let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Now remember, this is mentioning good things that he did. And notice how one thing he did, he made Jerusalem safer even during a time of peace. This is just wisdom. This is smart, because while they didn't have any enemies then, that didn't mean it's time to party and just, you know, take it easy. No, this is a good time where we can start building and making sure we stay safe. And you know what? Don't get me going on about how our leaders are doing everything they can to make sure if we ever go to war that we're going to lose. And you know, uh, good leaders, they're going to keep their people safe. And unfortunately, uh, we're, you know, we're losing that in this country but, you know, I said, I'm not wanting to talk about politics or anything tonight, but I'm just looking at this leader and thinking, man, this guy is opposite of what we have. Our leader today is appointing sodomites to his cabinet, where this guy, he's like, get out of here. You know, our leader's doing everything he can to try to provoke a nuclear war, where this guy, he's like, you know what? We got peace and safety. Things are good right now. Let's build some walls. Let's build some walls. I mean... I remember a guy saying something about that. So, apparently the wall was biblical. You said you were against the wall, Pastor. I, mean, I know, it's because I was afraid they were building it to keep us in. <laughs> not, not to keep bad people out. But either way, you know, I'm not, I'm not that worried about that. But uh, one thing we uh, turn over to verse 8 of Second Chronicles, chapter 14. And, and this is important. This is an important thing to notice right here that went on. Uh, earlier in his reign, it says, And Asa had an army of men that bear targets and spears out of Judah, 300,000, and out of Benjamin that bear shields and drew bows, 204,000. All these were mighty men of valor. And there came out against them Zerah the Ethiopian with an host of a 1,000,000 and 300 chariots and came unto Marisha. Then Asa went out against him and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephathah, and Marisha, and Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God, let not man prevail against thee. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled, and Asa and the people that were with him pursued them unto Gerar, and the Ethiopians were overthrown, that they could not recover themselves, for they were destroyed before the Lord and before his host, 
and they carried away very much spoil, and they smote all the cities round about Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they spoiled all the cities, for there was exceeding much spoil in them. They smote also the tents of cattle and carried away sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. So notice how Asa here, when he's facing this large army of Ethiopians, what does he do? He just depends on God. And he looked, he understood, Lord, this is nothing for you. He understood this is probably way too much for us to be able to handle. But God, this is nothing for you. And I like what he says, we rest on you. That's our attitude that we're supposed to have when it comes to when it comes to prayer. We should, you know, praying should give us comfort and rest. It's us basically saying, "Lord, I'm going to give you the work to do." It's kind of like, you know, when you know, brother Aaron and brother Joe were talking about doing the work this week rather than later, you know, even though I told them we probably want to do it later cuz I won't be around to help, and they're like, "No, we want to do it this week." And it's like, "Okay, you know, that's I'm fine with resting." <laughs> and putting it all on you guys you know i love when work gets done and i don't have to help it's just a great it's a great feeling you know i like accomplishing things too but i think i like accomplishing things even more when it's not me doing it and you know that's how it ought to be when it comes that you know there are there's just some things folks that we can't do we need to be trusting in god we need to be depending on god and you know there's some people if i give them a project to do i'm worried about it you know, it's kind of like, you know, my wife, she doesn't always do a good job of resting if one of the kids are driving. Like when we're going on a trip or something, I'll always like want to let, I'll, I'll let Abby drive. I don't care. I trust her. I can rest while she's driving. But you no, know, she, she gets all nervous and everything. And you know, that's kind of how we are with God. We often, we often pray to God and we ask him to do things. And then we're like wringing our hands the whole time. It's like, is he going to get me through this? Is he going to do, you know, what, I, what I've asked him to do? Which what we should do is just give it to him and then be at ease. And that's exactly what Asa did right here. And God went and he just completely destroyed these people and he gave them a whole bunch of spoils. And it says the Lord smote them. God did it. And so what a, what a great example this was. And so Second Chronicles, we're not going to go through the whole story, but Second Chronicles 15, it gives a message from the prophet to Asa. And we see Asa, he ends up doing more good things. And so... Really, for the most part, when you look at Asa's reign, who reigned for 41 years, he did good up until about 35 years. Now, if, we have a, if you have a king that's good for 35 years and he's bad for six years, that's still a good king overall, isn't it? But at the same time, too, you know, we don't want to end bad. You know, I mean, I'm 42. I've probably lived half my life, okay? And I don't know if I, you know, so the thing is, if I'm like, I don't think I'm going to make 84. You know what? Half my life's been good. That's enough. You know, no, that, listen, I can, I can destroy my testimony tomorrow if I want in a way where I'll never get it back. And that's not good. And Asa, at the end of his life, he ended up doing some things that are pretty bad. Uh, and, uh, one thing he did, uh, look at 1 Kings chapter 16. Or, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles, I keep getting my books of the Bible mixed up because I'm in First Kings and Second Chronicles, chapter 16. Let's look at some things that Asa did that were wrong. It says in verse 1, In the sixth year uh, and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. 
Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, that dwelt at Damascus, saying, There is a league between me and thee, as there was between my father and thy father. Behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go break thy league with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. And Ben-Hadad hearkened unto the king, Asa, and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they smote Ijon and Dan and Abel-Mam and all the store cities of Naphtali. And it came to pass, when Baasha heard it, that he left off building of Ramah and let his work cease. Then Asa the king took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timber thereof, wherewith Baasha was building, and he built therewith Geba and Mizpah. So basically, uh, Asa here, he makes an alliance with the king of Syria, giving him gifts that were not really his to give. Now that kind of reminds me of some of our leaders today who are always giving away our tax dollars for every reason you can imagine. You know, you know I, I, can, I can guess a few reasons why Biden might feel beholden to Ukraine. Uh, when you consider his son and some of the things that have gone on there. Again, don't get me going on politics, but again, when, when I'm looking at good leaders in the Bible, it makes me kind of envious because it's like, boy, it'd be nice to have one of those. But now we got Asa kind of acting a little more, more like a leader now. And this is like, this reminds me of something that I'm seeing right now. And this was bad. And Asa did this, made this alliance. We're going to see because he was not relying on the Lord. That was his problem. He's thinking, I've got to go and I've, I've got to make an alliance with a bad guy because I need him right now. But the truth is, God had already proven years before when he fought the Ethiopians that he didn't need to make alliances with anybody. He just needed to call on the Lord. And so in verse 7, it says, And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord thy God, Therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars." Then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house, for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that same time. So this is the same guy who was running sodomites out of the land. The same guy who was reinforcing the law of God. When a prophet comes to him and tells him, Asa, you messed up. You forgot about what God did before with the Ethiopians and you went and you made a league with Syria because you weren't trusting in the Lord. You were trusting in him. Because of this, you're going to have wars. This was wrong for you to do, Asa. He imprisoned a prophet for speaking the truth. He and this was, I mean, this is a shock to see a man doing this. But folks, sometimes people get backslidden. Sometimes people get away from God. And this was a very wicked thing that he did. And then notice what this prophet said to him too. And we need to keep this in mind too because folks, God hasn't changed. And he said, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. God is looking for someone to do a great work through. You say, well, why is he having such a hard time finding it? You know why? Because he's having a tough time 
finding someone whose heart is perfect towards him, meaning somebody who's not going to try stealing some of the credit. Because the truth is, if the Lord were to, you know, you know I'll excuse myself for example, okay? If, if, I, if, if, if the Lord were to just do a great work through me, there's a good chance I might get on Twitter and Facebook and start bragging on myself. You know, and there's, God's not going to do that. God's looking for the person who, where he's going to get all the glory. And maybe I won't even brag. It might not even be me bragging. It might be the fact that, you know, this isn't the case, all right? But, you know, sometimes God might do it because it's like, no, if I do a great work through him, it will look like, you know, it's just because of him and his awesome looks and personality or something like that, all right? I'm pretty sure that's not the problem. It's probably more one with me. But at the same time, there are people out there that they are very talented. They're very eloquent. They've got all these great gifts. And often people, yeah, yeah they're great. God's doing, you know, they're, you know, they're building a great work because of their talent, their organizational skills. They've got all these things going. And the truth is, God's just looking for somebody whose heart is perfect towards him. Someone who is just seeking the Lord, wanting him to get all the glory, wanting his will to be done. And they're not double-minded about it. And let's just admit it. We all struggle with this sometimes. You know, I get it. I want God to be glorified. But you know what? Sometimes it's like, especially when you have a lot of enemies, especially when you have a lot of people say bad things about you, sometimes you think, you know what, Lord, I wouldn't mind you doing a great work for me so we can show everybody that I'm not as bad as they say. You know what? God's not looking for somebody who cares about that kind of thing. So, you know, we got to work on those things. Okay, preach myself a little bit right now. But, ladies and gentlemen, if you want God to do a great work through you, just get your heart right. Get your heart where it's supposed to be. He's looking for somebody like that. You know, so we're, we're all ready for God to do a great work through us, but we're not all ready to get our heart right and get our heart where it should be. And I believe Ace's heart was there at one point, but somewhere he got off course. And so this prophet comes along and tells him, the Lord's looking for somebody whose heart is perfect towards him. The Lord has been looking for somebody that he can do a great work through. It could have been you. But you know what? Because your heart wasn't right, and because you didn't rely on the Lord, and you trusted in the king of Syria rather than God, you're going to have wars forever. And what a sad thing that was. And so he did imprisoned a prophet for speaking the truth. Look what it says in verse 11. And so you would think he would have learned his lesson after this, but no, he didn't. He's still stubborn. And it says, And behold, the acts of Asa, first and last, Lord, they are written in the book, so the king of Judah and Israel. And Asa in the thirty and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great, yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. Now, I don't believe this is a verse condemning doctors. Okay, I don't believe, I don't believe that for a second, but you've got to understand Asa, you know, the, the problem they had, I think this was just one of these kind of hopeless situations. And he is, he's just not even thinking about God. He's just fully trusting in the doctors. He's not, he's not praying about it. It doesn't mean we can't use them and go to them and take medicine and things like that. But at the end of the day, we've got to understand our reliance is mainly on God. And if God wants you dead, there's not enough doctors in this world to save your life. And if God wants you alive, there's not anything out there that can take you out. So again, this is about just trusting in God. And then sadly, Asa... He ended bad. 
He did all, he had so many good years, he did so many great things, but he, unfortunately, he ended bad. And so just some life lessons that I want us to just look at that we can learn from Asa, things that we need to remember from his life, and that is just the importance of ending right and finishing our course. Okay? You know, great if you're running your course, and great if you're running well. But you know what? Remember what Paul said, who did hinder you? You know, ye did run well, who did hinder you? We want to make sure we finish our course. Ecclesiastes 7, 8 says, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit better than the proud in spirit. And you know, I again, I you know, thank God for people that have done great works, but you know what? Many people today who have done great works, their testimonies have been destroyed because they ended bad. There's been preachers out there that have done great works for the Lord. They've gotten many people saved. They've built great works, and then... They ran off with some other woman. And what does that mean? Does that mean they, they were never saved? No, it means they fell in sin and they destroyed their ministry. And you know what? That's all they're known for now. That's all people want to talk about. They'll write off everything they did. There's guys out there. They preach the truth. They stood for right, the right doctrine in different areas. They stood for standards. They stood for whatever. And then they went and, and they were right. And they helped people. And they did a great work, but then they went and they did some kind of terrible sin, you know, and they ruined it. Sometimes, you know, it's, you know, the lust of the flesh or, you know, uh, you know, sexual scandals and things like that. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes they get greedy. You know, sometimes people, you know, pastors, they'll struggle, you know, they'll go and they'll build all these great works and they'll do all these great things and they don't have that much money. They don't have that much. And they start feeling like, you know, I should be entitled to a little more. And let me tell you. You know, there's, there's preachers out there. I'm not against this at all. And I will never take a stand against this because of the fact that if I take a stand against it, I might lose an opportunity one of these days. There's pastors out there that make some really good money. All right? there, there's some pastors that are, they're, that are living really good to the point that if I wasn't a pastor, I'd probably say it was a sin. All right? But at the same time, you know, at the same time you, know, you, do, you, know, you see that kind of thing, and it is. It's, it's easy to get envious. And often when people get envious... That's when they start, you know, making some bad decisions and start getting tempted. That's why, too, again, when it comes to church finances, you need accountability when it comes to those things. Because preachers do. They get tempted. A lot of times, too, pastors, you know, one, one thing that, and, and I, I can talk about this. This is not the case here uh, at all. But, you know, some pastors get treated terrible. I mean, it is sad what... Some churches do to pastors, the pastor's wives, the pastor's family. I mean, it is brutal. And I have, I've heard a lot of the horror stories and just things that they've had to, to deal with. And I do. I think some of these guys, they just start thinking, you know what? If i got to put up with this kind of stuff, I need a raise. And the church isn't going to give me one. I'm just going to take one. You say, that's terrible. It is terrible. It is terrible. But you know what? It's already tempting sometimes to not do wrong to good people. But it's really tempting to not do wrong to bad people. You know, and a lot of times they do. And you know, nobody just said, you know, when, when preachers, you know, most, most of the time when preachers start stealing money from the church, they're not sneaking into the church safe. They're not, you know, doing some kind of weird financial transaction fraud or something like that in like the way that you picture, you know, where they sneak into the church in the dead of night and, you know, 
take the money that was for the offering before it goes to the bank or while they're taking it to the bank. They don't do it that way, but, you know, they do it more creative ways. And, like, you know, they'll just have the church paying their bills and, you know, they'll make everything a church expense. I mean, literally everything. And it's like, you know, that's, uh, that's not right. But why do, they, why do they do that? Why can't they just ask for a raise? And, again, a lot of times maybe the church won't give it to them, so they just kind of take it that way. And that is not right. That is, that is a bad thing. And you know, when you get busted for something like that, it ruins you. You're, you're done. And it's like, oh, but you know, this pastor, he was so good. Yeah, I know he was good, but that was really bad. And it destroyed his testimony. And I hate it too, because then the enemies of the Baptist, the enemies of whatever righteous cause was that preacher stood for, they use that person discredit all the things that they did right. And what a shame that is. And what a shame it was for Asa to, do, to end things the way he did. I mean, throwing a prophet in prison for just preaching the truth, that sounds like one of the kings of Israel, something that they would do. They did that kind of thing all the time. And, but Asa, this, this good king, the overview of his kingdom, that he did good in the sight of the Lord, he still did this. We've got to keep that in mind because there's no doubt Asa was a saved man. There's no doubt Asa loved the Lord, but look how far away from God that he got. And we, we never want to underestimate ourselves and what we are capable of doing that's bad. We don't ever want to do that. And we, we, we blame reprobation on most sins that people do. And the truth is, that's not, you know, your flesh does, is to blame for just about everything. And if you're saved, you still are made out of sorry flesh and you are capable of all kinds of sin. And that's why Paul said, take heed lest ye fall. There is, there is, there is so much trouble that we can still get ourselves into, ladies and gentlemen. There's so much trouble we can get ourselves into. Don't ever forget that. So another lesson we can learn from Asa, and you got to get this one, but that is our good and our, or our bad label that we put on someone does not always show in their works. Because we do, we like that we love to label things. We love to just declare things on somebody. And it is, it's like clowns that go and they declare a politician a reprobate or something like that. And then because that guy's been declared a reprobate, therefore he's not capable of doing any good thing. Well, you know, what if he pulls an old lady from in front of a car that was about to hit her? Was that now no one? Oh, he was just doing it so he'd get positive attention. It was still a good thing. Right? And, and so I don't know why people feel the need to do this. Uh, part of it's a dumb interpretation of Matthew 7, verse 15. Go ahead, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. But again, we do. We love to just declare somebody good, somebody bad, somebody saved, somebody reprobate. And then, and then we judge everything they do based on the label that we have given them. That's just dumb. Okay? That is dumb. That is unbiblical. That just defies common sense. But what people do, they'll go to uh, Matthew seven fifteen, where it says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sleep's clothing, sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, wherefore by their fruits 
ye shall know them. So right there, a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. I've declared that guy a corrupt tree. Nothing he does is good. And I've also declared this other guy good. Therefore, nothing he does is bad. So, you know, who cares if that pastor steals money? He's a soul winner. He's good. He's got the right gospel. Still wrong to steal. Still, you know, still wrong to yell. Oh, well, you know, and, and that, but that's the kind of thing people do. That's the reasoning people have. That is dumb. He's a good tree. Okay, but I really don't want to go into a full exposition of this passage unless, unless I need to. Okay, but let me just say this. If a good tree, if somebody being a good tree means, you know, they can only, and, you know, they can only do good fruit, meaning they can only do good things, then is it no, no longer possible for Christians to sin? Obviously, Christians can sin, can't they? So, wouldn't that be bad fruit? But wait a minute. When it's talking about a good tree bringing forth good fruit and a bad tree bringing forth evil fruit, it's very narrow in what it's talking about there. We do not apply that to just everything in their life. And that's often what people do. They'll take these illustrations like that and they just apply it to every single thing because you know what? There are sometimes there's preachers that we have declared good that do really bad things. And sometimes there's leaders that we declared bad that do really good things. And a lot of times people do. You have people that just look and they're like, I don't know. I I declared, you know, the founding fathers bad because, you know, they weren't saved, didn't have the right gospel. Therefore, America's bad, Constitution's bad. No, that's dumb. Have you ever heard of Cyrus, king of Persia? I mean, that guy, a bloody man, but was not his decree for them to go back and rebuild the temple a good thing? That was a very good thing. Okay, Darius, he threw Daniel in the lion's den. That was bad. But you know what? Later, he, you know, you know, that was a horrible law. But later, he made a good law. Help not. Same thing with Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes bad people end up doing good things, and especially in leadership, especially with kings, especially with presidents. You know why? Because. Their heart is in the hand of God, and God turneth it as rivers of water, wheresoever he will. So the thing is, when you have a, a, a leader uh, is especially capable of good or bad, because God often uses them to either punish or bless a nation. And so when God starts blessing a nation, you know, I believe our country, you know, that God was blessing us in many areas. When we had Donald Trump as president, we were being blessed in a lot of financial areas and things like that. Oh, you know, Donald Trump, we know he's a reprobate. We know he's a bad guy. We know he's not saved. Therefore, nothing good was happening. No, I think there was some good stuff that was happening. You know, Joe Biden, I'm still trying to figure out what good's been going on in this country. You know, nothing because you know he's a reprobate. Well, you know what? Roe versus Wade got overturned. Now, obviously, Biden had nothing to do with that. You know, that was Trump. Because the Supreme Court justices, right? You know, but listen. Either way, oh, those Supreme Court—they're all reprobates. They're all Catholics and Jews. You know, so there's no way. So Roe versus Wade getting overturned was a bad decision. No, it wasn't. It was a good decision. I don't care if it was nine Satanists. That's a good decision. 
Oh, you're giving credit to Satanists. You're giving credit to Jews. No, I'm giving credit to God. Because he's the one that controls these things. And so for some reason, for some dumb reason, everybody wants to just put a label on somebody and then judge everything they do based on that. You can't do that. God put a good label on Asa. God said he did good in the sight of the Lord. That was the overview of Asa's reign. He was a good king, but yet there is no doubt what he did here at the end of his life was still bad. No, I think that prophet... You know, he probably had a bad attitude and he probably, I'm sure it was the truth that he said because the Bible records it, but he probably said it with a bad spirit and that's why Asa threw him in prison. He should, no, no, Asa was wrong. Asa did bad. Asa shouldn't have made a league with Syria. Asa shouldn't have thrown that prophet in prison. Asa should have relied on the Lord. Asa, when he was sick, he should have turned to the Lord for help. Asa was wrong and all those things he did. But you know what? He still got the sodomites out of the land. That was still a good thing. I, you, know what we don't, you know what we don't have to do? We don't have to go back and figure out how everything Asa did was bad since he ended bad. No, that was still good. He did good when he got rid of the idols. He did good when he cut down the groves. Those were all good things that he did. And so, you know, the, for so, sometimes, okay, here's what you got to understand. The good, so the good tree, bad tree thing, that's a very specific you know, analogy for a very specific situation. And something that I think we will all admit is that sometimes you have good, saved people walk in the flesh. And what happens when good, saved people walk in the flesh? They sin. They mess up. They get in trouble. They do bad things. And it's called the, the works of the flesh. And, you know, it's, you have, it's the fruit of the Spirit versus the fruit of the flesh. And so again, you're not going to go to that corrupt tree can't bring forth good fruit because again, that's about something very specific I'm not going to go into because we also know that if we have if the fruit of the spirit is the fruit that we're walking in the spirit, right? We all know that if I'm walking in the spirit, the fruit will be love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. If I am walking in the flesh, then the lust of the flesh are manifest are these adulteries, fornications, and names off all those things. So the thing is, if you see a man go and do those things that the that the lust of the flesh manifests, you could say that's bad fruit, right? So therefore he's a bad tree, can't be saved, you never got anybody saved. No. You know what that's the fruit? That's the that's the fruit of walking in the flesh. And guess what? A good tree who gets people saved is capable of giving off the bad fruit of the works of the flesh. And so again, when I see somebody doing bad works, that, they're not doing that bad works because of a false gospel. They're doing it because they're walking in the flesh. And saved people can do that. Saved people can walk in the flesh. And so we don't just r always run to the good tree because this is what happens a lot of times, is you'll have preachers that are out there, you know, who preach a false gospel. You know, you'll have guys like John MacArthur, who, I mean, that guy, his doctrine is so bad. You know, he's, he's a Calvinist. He's got horrible teaching about the blood of Christ. You know, he's, he's got some really bad teaching. Here's the problem with John MacArthur. 
he comes off as such a nice, normal guy. I mean, he even stood against closing churches down, right? You know, and so, you know, you see those things and you'll see that you'll see him do good things and do nice, do nice things. And folks, you know, let me just say it. I think John MacArthur does some good stuff. I, I think he did good when he fought the government in California. Oh, nope. He's a bad tree. He can't bring forth good fruit. Listen. I, yeah, he's a bad tree in the sense that he has a false gospel. And therefore, he's not getting people saved with that. But that doesn't mean that John MacArthur, the man in the flesh, can't do something patriotic. I mean, can unsaved people do something patriotic that's good for the country? Of course they can. You know how many people have done good things for this country who are not saved? You know how many lost policemen have saved people's lives? You know how many lost firemen have pulled people from burning buildings? No, they didn't do anything good because they that that one fireman was a Mormon, and so that so y'all understand how that corrupt fruit thing doesn't apply to every situation. It's a it's a very narrowed focus, and so we've just got so something we learn from Mason. He's proof of is our good or bad label that we put on someone does not always show itself in their works. That guy that we declare good sometimes he can do bad things. And it's disappointing when that happens. And it's shocking when that kind of thing happens. Or sometimes, too, that person we put a a bad label on, they go and do some good things. And that confuses us a little bit. And you know what? Let me just say this, too. Sometimes we get our labels wrong. Sometimes our perception of people is not what it should be. And as a result of that, of course their actions aren't going to go with whatever label you put on them. But again, even if you label them right, it still might not. So sometimes we have a good guy walking in the flesh. Sometimes we have a sold-out Christian get backslidden. And sometimes you just have a lost person, for whatever reason, just doing something good. It, It can happen. So another thing that we learned from Asa is the good that we do and isn't as much about our methodology but about what we depend on God to do. And, and I kind of talked about this a little bit on Wednesday. If I could stand here and I, I could, if, if right now I could get the attention of the entire IFB world, I would like to say this to him again, say it really slow. But the good that we do, it is not about our methodology, but about what we depend on God to do. Now, I don't like saying that that much because I don't like this changing church culture that we have. I don't like the junk that's coming into churches. I don't like these new trendyisms and new practices and things people are coming up with. I'm a traditional, I'm a traditional kind of guy. But at the same, and, and I, my problem with all these new things is just that they're sensual and carnal. That's my problem with the new things. But you know, new things aren't wrong. Doing things a little different, it's not wrong. It's not a sin. God did not bless churches in certain eras because of the fact or because of how they did an altar call. It was because they were relying on him. It was because they were in touch with the Holy Spirit and God moved them to do things however, but it was never about the methodology. It was about their reliance on him. And that's one thing we see throughout the Bible. Jesus, he never did the, he, when it came to miracles, he would never do it the same way twice. Whenever he would heal blind people, he didn't always do it the same way. 
He would, he would, he always did different. You know why? Because it was never about the methodology. It was always about the man. It was about Jesus Christ. And whenever God would do worse for people, whenever he gave them water from the rock, the first time Moses smote it, the second time he was supposed to speak to it. It wasn't about a methodology. God wasn't trying to teach Moses a methodology. He was trying to teach him obedience to him. And we've got a lot of Baptists today. They're married to some methodology. This is the song that we were playing when, that day when the revival broke out. This is how we did the service. This is what we were wearing. You know, and so we've got to bring all those things back. You know, we got to get the same smell in the atmosphere. We got to get the sawdust. We got to get whatever, and then we'll conjure up, you know, a move of the Holy Spirit. No, we're supposed to just be depending on God. And we, you know what? They never fought a battle. God never fought a battle the same way with them. I mean, God always made them do things a little bit different. I mean, why didn't after the after the walls of Jericho fell? Why didn't just any time they went after a place, they just marched around it? You know, once a day for six days, and the seventh day march around it seven times, then start screaming after that. It worked in Jericho. Hey, it was good for Joshua. Good enough for me. Just do it that way all the time. I'm going back to the old paths. No, you know what? Sometimes God. Remember, I preached one time about how they just sang. You know, so God had them do things different all the time. One time, they just went and broke a bunch of lanterns and started yelling the sword of the Lord of Gideon. Why didn't they just do that every battle after that? You know why? Because it wasn't about the methodology. It was about who they were relying on. And our God is a jealous God, and he does not like us depending on something rather than him. God wants us dependent on him. God is not going to share his glory with another. He should not share his glory with another. He will not share his glory with another. And so the most important lesson that we can learn from Asa is the last lesson we see in his life. And that is just the importance of faithfulness, not most of your life, but to the end of your life. It is, that is so important. What a tragic ending to such a great reign. I'd love to get 36, 35, 36 years of a good leader like that. I mean, God gave him peace for a good, good period. God gave him peace for a longer period of time and rest than the time where he had wars. There was way more time of peace during Asa's reign than wars. But you know what? That time of wars was because of his disobedience. He didn't have to have that. And so Asa, he was. He was a good guy, but he messed up. And sometimes there's going to be people in your life that you know they're good, but they mess up. You know what? You know why I think God lets that happen? So we'll stop depending on people and depend on him. God wants us depending on him. God wants us dependent on him. He is the one we need. He is to be the focal point. And we don't ever want to let, while church is a good thing, while pastors are a good thing, you know, we don't ever want to allow ourselves, you should never allow a pastor to get in the way of God. Our job as a, as my job as a pastor, your job as a Christian is just to keep pointing people to Jesus Christ, to keep drawing attention to him. That is your job. And so hopefully uh, these lessons from the life, life of Asa will be a hope and a blessing. So let's pray. Dear Lord. I thank you for uh, the great example we have in your word of King Asa. We thank you for the uh, good example that he was for so many years. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us to learn from that and help us also to learn from uh, where we failed so we won't make the same mistakes and help us to always remember just how important it is to be faithful all the way to the end uh, of our life. And I pray you help us succeed in that area. In your name we pray. Amen.